Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good afternoon, good evening, good whomever, good whatever, how I may find you. I'm Alan Avril, this is Agitators Anonymous, episode 180, possibly 190-something. We keep on moving towards the number 200. Well, today's interview... Today's podcast um, is indeed an interview, a chat, really. They're not really interviews. They're just sort of informal chats. But this is with Chris from High Spirits. Um, If you're... He's done numerous projects over the years. Nightbringer, Professor Black, all sorts of other things, um, which we discuss uh, during the podcast. In fact, we were meant to discuss a book that he's writing about Corthon from Bathory, but somehow... We never got round to it. Um, High Spirits is, um, I suppose, not the typical, usual band, um, kind of band or kind of thing that I really listen to. It has elements of like pop woven into its heavy metal fabric that makes it makes High Spirits stand um, somewhat alone. But uh, me and Chris, as you can hear, uh, you know, share an awful lot of common ground and discuss loads of interesting things. And I think... Um, anyone who's seen High Spirits live will be able to attest to the fact that they bring this quotient of joy and sort of unbridled happiness and watching the shit-eating grin on a friend of mine who had never even heard of them and was not really into metal who saw them. Um, it's obvious to me that there's something more to High Spirits than the usual trad metal uh, stuff going on. And look, Chris is a very interesting, competent um, and engaging conversationalist. And his list of uh, musical achievements is as long as, you know, almost as long as James Plotkin, who I spoke to a while ago. So, Chris from High Spirits. So before we get into the episode, as ever, the podcast is sponsored by Metal Blade Records, the home of Primordial. So you can go to www.metalblade.indiemerch.com, I-N-D-I-E, metalblade.indiemerch.com and you can use the code AA2024 and then you type 10% off and you can get 10% off your order. It is the home of Show No Mercy, Hello Waits, Cannibal Corpse, Fate's Warning, Merciful Fate, Primordial, tons and tons of bands, Sirith Ongal. The list is endless. Um, times are tough and that 10% off can mean an awful lot. And this is the only metal label that is still independent. Right then. Now, back to the episode. Recording in progress. So do you wish to be known as Chris or Professor Black? Which should I call you? Uh, just Chris is usually what what, uh, what works. I mean, in print, usually it's Professor Black. Um, uh, the Professor nickname kind of started off as... Uh, I don't want to say as an insult, but it wasn't meant as a compliment. And uh, I kind of had to... Uh, to claim it as my own to kind of reverse the 
reverse the power there. So, Chris, we'll go with Chris. Okay, but you do, you are looking sort of like a, a floating sort of head of sort of ominous evil there in the, you know, with the, there you go. So, yeah, yeah you're, <laughs> you're certainly optically owning the moniker right now, I would say. You look like you're in some sort of uh, deep space sort of, you know, craft. Yeah, well, it's it's my studio. It's got uh, you know diagonal kind of slanted ceilings, which is uh, which makes for terrible acoustics. But I suppose uh, gives a gives the right look for for doing a podcast. I could maybe put some more light in the background. Ah, there, and you can see the the sound treatments on the ceilings. There you go. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Well, and not so mysterious as it looks, but no, it's. Not so mysterious, you. Um, I mean, people think I'm talking to somebody from Death Spell Omega or something, you know, so. You might be. You don't know that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's true. So what's the story? Most people know you from High Spirits and stuff, but I mean, yeah. a, a brief look on your, um, you know, discography of releases is kind of insane. You know, it's like huge. I remember speaking to James Plotkin a while ago, you know, OLD, you know, Can8 and all that stuff. And his going through his sort of um release uh you know the, the the deluge of releases was insane yours is almost sort of similar so when's the first one when when does it all kind of begin can you remember that well the first one is probably i mean if you don't count like high school band rehearsal tapes and things like that then the first the first thing that was actually a, you know a, a physical release was the dawnbringer uh ep which was called sacrament um, which which should have been a demo, but you know, uh when you're bound and determined to make a CD, uh um, you know, as a stubborn teenager, then uh, you know, the CD is is what you're gonna get, even though, like I said, it probably should have been a demo. It might have even been more successful as a demo. Um, but uh that was 90, 95 or 96. Hang on. Oh. 96 you have your entire discography just at hand and uh, ah 96 okay yeah i've got copies in each room of the house so no matter where we're we're talking i can uh but that's i mean if you're stuck for something to you know to discuss you can just reach one out and just tell whoever what random visitor to the to the to the house you can just start with the exact yeah, well that would that would definitely not be the one to uh to start anyone off on but uh that's, that's where i started and uh uh, yeah, to your question, that's uh, 96. And then there was a full length by Dawnbringer in 97, um, which was which was much better. Um, in terms of product quality, it wasn't a whole lot better. But musically, it was uh, it was a big improvement. But you I mean, what about to start then in um, Chicago and that kind of stuff? I mean, I've always been sort of fascinated by all that old school Chicago metal, which is everything from Master to Trouble to Cyanide to... Yeah, sure. I mean, um, Black Death. Is Black Death from Chicago? No, they're from Detroit. No. Right? Um, All those kind of... Did you see Black those? Black Death is from, from Cleveland. Cleveland, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you see all those bands, or is that what you grew up with or around in that scene, or...? In 78, uh, 1978 in New Jersey, uh, on the East Coast. Okay. Uh, so... Uh -oh. uh, teenager during the 90s and in the 90s I lived in Pennsylvania and I didn't arrive in Chicago until the year 2000 so 
I missed all that uh, oh, that, you, okay. that you were talking about. Um, it was still, it was still a shock to me arriving and becoming aware of that history and of the just kind of uh, uh, the. It was a shock coming from where I grew up, uh, coming here where there actually was a metal i i don't like the word scene there was a metal community there was there was yeah there were people you know what i mean i probably had gone to four or five shows in my entire life uh before i moved here and then uh those first uh, this first six months or a year that i lived here i just went completely crazy because there was a show uh you know every week of a band that i had heard of that you know i never could have seen uh living where i lived before um and and I you know after that I kind of realized oh this is just normal here I don't have to go to every single show that pops up because that band is going to come back in six months or eight months yeah. later and you know I don't have to you know it's not a fire drill um, yeah yeah and and that was just uh, it was just very eye opening for me again to be in a place where 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 this kind of music actually existed where it wasn't just imaginary it wasn't just you know me by myself. Uh, uh, ordering records in the mail and um, just kind of it, it, heavy metal was it went from being an imaginary personal thing to being a very real and collective thing, yeah. uh, which uh, again was was quite a shock. It was it was overwhelming and it was it, it was cool. It was cool. I mean, a, a heavy metal as as a music already had its hooks in me. Um, you know, I was I was already uh, past the point of no return, you could say. But then to move here, it was just like it was almost like that was the payoff. Mm. Uh, uh, so and and, you know, the history that you talk about, uh, that's something that uh, that you become aware of very quickly. Um, uh, you mentioned Cyanide um, became became yeah. friends with those guys that they were still still a going band. Um, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Wagner was back in trouble for a year or so around when I came back, so I did get to see. Okay, Simple Mind Condition, maybe kind of or something like. No, that. it was after that. It was a little bit after that. I don't know if they did an album together, but I definitely saw a, a few gigs. Sure, okay. um, you know, with that with that full lineup, um, Ron Holzner was still in the band too, and um, uh, the Chasm is another band yeah, that was Chasm, uh, yeah. very much great band, very yeah, much, really great band, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they were very much still kind of on the rise uh, um, when I arrived. You know, around two thousand, uh, I got to see Scepter before they broke up. Uh, yeah, Scepter, yeah, yeah. Uh, happy about that. Um, uh, Usurper was was still kind of in their original in their original form. I think they were just in the process of moving from Necropolis to Earache at the time. So very much still in the, you know, still in the thick of their career, if you want to put it that way. So, um, so yeah, I missed the, uh, I missed the, the kind of uh, master and E-trope um, yeah. um, and the, you know, kind of the original arc of trouble. Uh, I missed that by, I missed all that by a lot, uh, by a decade probably, but um, <clears throat> you know, it's a huge city. There's always going to be bands here. Uh, there's always going to be activity. Um, it, it it expands and contracts a little bit, you know, year to year, like anywhere else, I would say. Mm -hmm. But just the population size and um, 
the the immigrant population size has a lot to do with it too because um you know it's very 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 multinational uh very dedicated um um lots of support for the different uh the different genres within the genre um you know and now and now compared to how it was 20 years ago i mean what's going on now we talked about this before i think in a vague uh, dispatches before about um the small Mm, uh, small to great changes, I think, in the last three or four years, especially post sort of lockdown changes in the scene and stuff. Um, maybe they're different. Obviously, in Dublin is maybe is a smaller place, so the microcosm of it um, is maybe a bit more profound. I'm not really too sure, but compared to when you first moved there, or do you are you when or do you still go to shows and stuff like that? I do not, you know, certainly not in the, I'm not binging like I was uh, in my twenties when I first yeah. got, you know, and shows wasn't the only thing I was binging on at that, at that age, believe me. But uh, um, that's a hard question to answer because I have a different vantage point now uh, than I did back then. I mean, back then I was working at, at a, at a store called Metal Haven, which oh, yeah. was, which was actually one of two um, at the time dedicated heavy metal record stores in the city do they still um, exist no um the owner still does business he still does business online uh and at record fairs uh yeah, kind of yeah. like people do but um it, you know rent for a retail store is just exactly yeah yeah well, you know there's <laughs> it's impossible right yeah i mean that's one of the things we were talking about before that uh, i mean even just you know you can talk, say what you want about gentrification of cities and all that kind of thing um but one of the sort of main parts of local stores and small businesses moving on is the insane increase in rents. And like, we'd have no rock bars or metal bars here anymore. We have no, we've one shop, you know, hanging on, but when you have a city center, which has less and less traffic through it um, and people are remote working and stuff, then you don't have many drop in customs. And so it has, it all has a knock on effect to there being not really a scene, but if we're we're probably roughly about the same age, then maybe we had our scene days. Maybe that's sometimes how I think of it, even though it's a bit, maybe that's a dep bit depressing for somebody who's 20 years younger, who's supposed to be inheriting it, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's a question for that, uh, <clears throat> for that younger person. Um, and I would, I, I will say that uh, having gone to some shows recently, um, I definitely noticed a younger crowd um the large uh, put it this way I, it's like i don't know these people like i don't i don't i don't recognize these faces yeah. and that 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 i have mixed feelings about that one one feeling is that that you know fuck i'm old um yeah. <laughs> but then but then the you know kind of the positive side to that is like you know the music is going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are there are people um, uh, joining the the audience is growing. Um, you know, maybe not at a at a fixed rate. You know, like I said, things expand and contract uh, year to year. You can't expect anything that's organic to to have a to have a, a you know a constant. Um, it also form. depends on the. I think it depends on the band as well. I mean, if you go and see, oh, Kate, it'll be a lot of older dudes and polish and south americans here whereas if you go and see gate creeper or blood incantation or you know something like that you'll get you know teens and 20 somethings i think it also depends on the band no but you're absolutely right considering that though what i find interesting is then your musical 
history and the longevity of it. But the, the high spirits thing is a kind of recent, reasonably recent thing. So then how did you morph into going through, you know, some starting with something more, you know, extreme to ending up in high spirits playing a sort of old, older fashioned style of music, but a kind of newer band. I mean, is, does high spirits come into that bracket of having a younger audience then? Or do you find yourself standing there in front of people who are 15, 20 years your junior? Or I don't know, you know, does it tie into it's what you really, It's really, really mixed. And especially as time has gone on, we find that the high experience, the high experience, this high spirits live audience is very mixed in terms of age, in terms of um, the types of shirts uh, and, and the way people are attired. Um, I would say in the beginning, closer to the beginning years of that band, it was all very, uh, very typical, uh, you know, patch vest, yeah. uh, long hair, um, you know, what uh, what you would see at the, you know, the German festivals. Yeah. Um, as time has gone on, and I think maybe more in the U.S., but not only in the U.S., um, we see a lot more diversity. Um Again, with the the style of dress, um, uh, a, the age range, um, our, our shows in the U.S. It's it can be fifty fifty guys and girls, um, mm. which is which is great. You know, I mean that's that's what we want. We want to be uh, everyone's band. We want yeah. to be the band that you're allowed to like, no matter yeah. where you come from, right? Well, that's one of the things that I did notice, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. It's written scribbled on my pad. Is that the couple of times I've seen High Spirits, um, it, it seemed to me that there was rarely a band so aptly named so to speak in that the tropes of traditional heavy metal which sometimes alienate people who maybe didn't grow up on the maidens or the priests or whatever yeah. or also as you say the denim vest sort of keep it true deaf forever people uh high spirits sort of can step sideways uh, you know f step out of from all that kind of stuff and there's i think i'm what was that one of the shows with a friend of mine who was not who was more like black metal but never listened to heavy metal and she just enjoyed the hell out of it like just really just had this she's like this is great fun which she, cool. was, she wasn't going to get from um you know like -la -la -la, you know kind of the mustachio high cheekbone swedish stuff she was a bit like yeah this doesn't do much for me after a song or two but so the, the it always struck me that there was something there when i first heard you know another night in the city or whatever they're like oh here's a band who could is taking some of the things that I've, uh i liked from Dokken and from 80s hard rock that sort of uplifting thing mm -hmm. it wasn't a kind of maiden you know kind of um twin guitar nerdiness so to speak even though it had that as well but do you know what i mean i do i do and it's all it's not as i, I do know what you mean and i agree but and it's but it's not as intentional mm. um as that may sound it's very much the i, I feel the best of the high spirits stuff the best songs and albums tend to be the ones where i've just kind of opened the gates and just written the songs that i was in the mood to write mm -hmm. uh you know thinking less about like oh the, let's let's emulate this particular uh genre or or maybe try a riff that that i heard on on such and such album yesterday it's very much uh, you know of course all that seeps in uh uh subconsciously as you know uh, as a songwriter you know you can't uh, you can't shut yourself off to your influences but you can i think um open your mind to letting a song 
kind of come alive on its own mm-hmm. um, and let the song kind of dictate the process um, <clears throat> more than more than any of your own intention. Um, as far as the way people experience the band live, I think that's uh, it's it's always a little weird to talk about high spirits because there's kind of there's kind of almost two bands or two 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 kind of parallel things happening with. I sometimes think of it as being two two bands with the same repertoire, okay. um, because because uh, as you probably know in the studio it's just it's just me, um, you know I'm writing and recording everything on my own. Um, okay. The rest of the band doesn't hear the album until it's finished, you know, until it's. Okay. So is there, um, is there a reason for that? Like, why do you do it like that? That's how it started, and I don't want to. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, that's that's how we're. Uh, it wasn't planned that way. It just kind of happened that way. And um, uh, some other guys in the band might answer differently, but my answer is that I don't want to, uh, you know, we have a formula, we have a way of working uh, that has worked uh, for us, both on album and uh, and as a live band. And we don't wish to, uh, to stray from that, um, <clears throat> you know, and risk uh, tipping the balance. And do you not find that, I mean, for me, one of the, I'm not a man who has much patience in the studio. Um, I enjoy the procedure um, to a degree. I enjoy this. My phone is ringing. Fuck off. My, um, I enjoy it to a point where my patience tends to wear tin, thin after two or three. Tin. Yeah, tin. 33 and a third. It begins to wear thin after like two or three hours of like, I have to go pop, 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 pop. And uh, some of the vocals are just one take. Fuck it. Yeah. I, I'm not First interested. Yeah, I, and so the, you know, picking over endless kind of things, somehow this alters the spontaneity of heavy metal. It does. And that's sort does. of, I mean, do you have a band that you rehearse where you make noise with? I do, yeah. I have a Motorhead cover band uh, okay, that we right, play right. a lot. And um, we've done some various shows with, uh, as kind of like a Professor Black solo band where we yeah. either do Motorhead or some stuff from uh, my older bands. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but the the High Spirits stuff does not go through any kind of um, rehearsal room uh, vetting or workshopping. Um, that's pretty much me in my, in my chair over there. Um, um, doing the uh doing the, the the process you just described but trying yeah. to trying to preserve that spontaneity and i think i think you're right that the uh the vocals are an opportunity to do that to kind of any 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 kind of spontaneous energy that's been drained maybe from the rhythm tracks by that yeah. process you can kind of inject it back in there with the with the persona of the vocal like I mean, I I've you know I make some stuff on GarageBand and make some songs and fiddle about with stuff. But at the same time, sometimes I like the idea of like if I come into like Primordial hasn't changed in 32 years. We rehearse exactly the same way as we did in '91. Only it's a phone in the middle of the room, not an old cassette recorder. And right. it's exactly the same. We've done it on purpose to be like it can't be. A, we can't be a band who's are sending files to each other. I've learned this riff and put something over this because that removes the human process of the band that was the reason why we started now of course if if you've started high spirits as this thing you do on your own do you never get the impression though sometimes you're going like is this a fucking good idea or 
what the fuck? Sometimes you need somebody to go, ah, come on, come on. What, yeah. the, fuck, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? And that, that'll happen. That'll happen once in a while. Um, and I guess it has happened a few times that I'll, that I'll send something out to somebody be like, you know, let me know. Am I, am I on the right track here? Or, or, you know, does this work for you? But, um, 99% of it happens in happens in isolation and and maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm stupid for doing it that way maybe that's a huge time waste because it's definitely true that and I'm and I'm sure you've you've been there too that you, you know you try something you have it one way and then you try it 99 other ways and I think and that you're back where you started and you know it's like that it's like that control z key is a is a uh is a crutch sometimes. I mean, I feel like I have a thing where I mess around where I just recorded like da, 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 like super lo-fi black metal and I just make sometimes riffs like that and mess around with that. But what I think maybe I would miss without the human process is the dynamics of the sound where the drummer might ease off in, a, yeah. in kind of a, you know, a Brian Downey style floor tom roll instead of book a duck a duck a duck a duck a duck it. So you miss the... 70s modulations or 80s modulations of the sound where somebody might do you know snare roll like military snare roll on the fucking flam or whatever look here's me thinking you know about drum decades you know what i mean like and then or the bass might change or you know i might not play as hard and so so if i only wrote if i only did dread sovereign like that i have a feeling it would be very linear in a frequency range you know what i mean yeah because those are the dynamics that you get from other people playing i mean that's the worry i would have with heavy metal in trying well, to what you're doing you know and that's and i think that's where I, the the pop aspect of high spirits comes yeah. in because it is very that's what I'm trying to put my finger on before that's what it was yeah 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 and i don't think that's I, i'm i'm not uh, put off by the term at all i think high spirits is very pop and a lot of that yeah. does reside in the production technique which um is is you know kind of like you described it is very it is not it's not dynamically flat, but there's a certain snugness to it um, that comes from one person playing all of the instruments um, yeah. that and, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but but to my ear, it suits that kind of music and kind of plays to the um, plays to the again, that, that kind of like pop appeal uh, that that I would hope the songs have. You know, again, that goes back to saying, like, I want I want this band to be. For everybody, I mean, I know I accept that it's not going to be. I know that's I know that's impossible, but um, part of that again is uh, is um, <clears throat> that production value, that production technique, hmm. and really tightening down all the screws. You know, li again, live it's a different story. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's a much more of a of a you know high intensity rock and roll show where there's going to be give and take. There's going to be mistakes and. Um, you know things done uh spontaneously too so um it, it can be like i said it can be hard to talk about high spirits and kind of bouncing between what that means for a, a recorded album and what that means for the live show because it can be two different things um I'm, maybe you can speak to this because i have i know fuck all about pop music i mean except what i hear Incident, incidentally, I don't listen to any or, you know, I mean, of course, I knew what my sister listened to in the 80s and the 90s, sure. whatever. but I was listening to um, some producers talking on a podcast and they were saying that the difference, like pop music has become so sonically expansive, like it's become this huge yeah. sound compared to how tinny or simplistic it was in the 80s or the 90s. And I was listening to this person discuss, you probably, maybe you know this band Sleep Token. Mm-mm. 
Nah, it's like a new heavy metal band. Of course, they wear masks and et cetera, et cetera. But they were talking about Sleep Token specifically. It, it sounded to me, it sounded like Tool-ish, kind of like, um, ish. It not, I don't think it was terrible. But what I did notice was the super pop production on the vocals. These like, the vocals were treated like, um, I'm going to say the name Drake, even though I don't quite know what that means. But what they were okay. trying to explain was, they were almost treated like the way hip hop or pop vocals were treated, which is nothing metal never goes near. Yeah, that's true. Do you, do you know what I mean? This is and that their general tones and sounds of this, whatever happened in the early 2000s, the pop music took on this huge, low endy, expansive production. And I have noticed that, at least from an outsider's perspective, like, oh, pop music sounds different to like that. I mean, obviously, than it, than it did in 1992 or 1996. But yeah. talking about the popularity of this band Sleep Token, um, with young people, and they're fucking huge. They're, 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 their last album is the most streamed metal album on Spotify last year. Oh, wow. Um, I don't even know where they're from. I don't know anything about them. They're just a couple of people have linked it to me and gone, what the fuck is this? And I go, actually, oh, okay. And But what it's the vocal thing that really stuck out to me is, maybe it's uh, someone then who um, knows more about pop, you you might have an opinion on that or speak to that. Do you know what no, I mean? I, I, don't, I don't hold myself out as... Uh you know an expert on the, sure, the but you, might, you might know more than me maybe. Uh, I, no it sounds like i don't actually uh, if i haven't uh if i haven't even heard this well, okay but you, it's not necessarily about knowing sleep token but you know what i mean about the vocal yeah. production the style whatever that is you know i don't really know my concept of my concept of pop music is 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 kind of embedded in me from uh from the 80s when i was a little kid uh before before I even knew, before I even knew that there were genres of music, you know, there was like classical music mm. that my parents listened to, and then there was everything else, you know, that might be on the radio, or you you might hear, you know, uh, on the PA in some you know public space or whatever. And, and so this was eighty four, eighty five. Sure, okay, yeah, mid eighties. You know, again, as a little like single digit age little kid. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. So I think my, I think my concept of pop music comes from those times. You know what the, and and I don't even know what the. You know sometimes I'll hear a song and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's a that's a good song. Um, I don't necessarily know the name of the song or the artist or whatever, but I like those production values where there's yeah. a, where there's a a really strong rhythm track where the rhythm track is kind of. Um, kind of differentiated like you can hear you can hear there's the the bass drum and the snare doing doing one beat and then you've got like an entire like top layer of of percussion kind of what would be um, an example of that something like the weekend or something you know uh, uh the one that comes to mind and i i know it because uh my son when he was two years old was completely obsessed with the song material girl by madonna okay yeah, um, yeah. if you listen to that that has a slamming slamming drum track and there's um again there's like there's the the main beat or whatever the rhythm of the song um mm. that's existing kind of on the bottom and then there's a whole like it's like not like it's like the it's like the it's like the frosting on the cake you could say like yeah. with what the hi-hat does and then there's some other like little um you know percussion sounds in there um so i think of that i think of the amount of reverb reverb that is typical um okay. uh, on yeah, yeah. 80s mixes and that was a thing in metal too i mean yeah, listen yeah, to sure, yeah. um 
listen to uh like transcendence by crimson glory oh okay yeah um that has uh that has in my concept that's an example of a metal album that's got also a very kind of yeah almost we production played, to it. just as an aside we played some gigs one weekend with crimson glory it must be like 2010 eight, nine, no 10 or 11 or 12 or something when they came back for a while and um we played just after them uh it was like immortal i think or something else as well and um we started and our sound engineer was like what the fuck is going on and he realized that they turned off the bass bins of the pa oh cool all under the stage was just all the bass bins where they just turned them off like something he just never even heard of because that's their right they're like high-pitched kind of trebly sound and i just heard after about 40 seconds like the whole bass bins coming on under my <laughs> i was like well what? that's cool that's definitely a that's definitely something that happened in the 90s that whole kind of like yeah low-end fixation when the bass drum became the kick drum yeah. you know it's like i wish we could go back to that moment in time and it's like no it's not the kick drum it's the bass drum please you know i think that's like that's like this little uh I don't know. There's a there's a little marker there. I think of uh, some uh, certainly in in live live concert mixing, but also in album production. Uh, uh, the the low end fetishism that kind of came around in the '90s. It's like, I mean, one of the things that somebody was saying to me about pop music now is that the songs are getting shorter and shorter. They're now reverting to late '50s, early '60s time limits: two ten, two twenty, two twenty five. Is that true? Yeah, that's what they were saying. And that um, they hit very often the chorus first because kids haven't got the patience to get through the verse to get to the chorus, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a that's a good technique that I've tried a few times. Um, there's one Pharaoh song that I that comes to mind that we did the chorus first, <clears throat> but um, living after midnight, isn't it? So living after midnight does it? Yeah. Um, there's a few others, yeah, but it's generally, but it's I just something I've been, uh, it's weird, I sort of pay attention to, or at least observe people talking about lots of pop music. I, I won't necessarily go and listen to it then, but I did notice, the, like I said, the vocal thing with Sleep Tokens, we went, that's the way vocals are treated in pop music, and that's why, one of the reasons why it's so popular, because it's not a, oh, like a heavy yeah, yeah. metal, a hard rock voice. It's got this, whatever this is, this lush, wide, um, you know, production on the vocals. But yeah, it seems to be the pop music songs are getting reverting back to like love love me do type yeah uh, time length you know that's cool i mean it's hard to it's hard to do what i do in under three minutes um yeah, I've, certainly, I've, certainly I've, I can. <laughs> right <laughs> i've i've come in i think there are two high spirit songs that are under three minutes um uh this is the night might be right around three minutes but there's one called reminding you of me um <laughs> Which doesn't even really have a chorus. That's a fun. That's a fun method too to try to write a song that doesn't even really have a chorus. I mean, that it, it's hard to. It's yeah. hard to do because there's usually even in the even in those kinds of songs, there's usually like a payoff line yeah. at the end of the verse that like you could argue, okay, that's the chorus. But yeah. well, we with Promodium made a whole. I mean, the album Journey's End, which is '97. I don't think there's a chorus on the whole record in any song. Really, it's just and it's almost all kind of open chord stuff. Very odd. And then slowly but surely I began to go. The influence of the Man of Wars and the Priests and stuff began to permeate what we're doing. I realized like we don't have any choruses. 
like by album three, where there was like one, maybe two. There were just structures of songs. And I thought this, we've got to maybe have some kind of chorus. I even yeah, well, the more you play live too, was it? I mean, yeah. you, you play, you gain experience as a live band and you realize that those are the, those are the moments that are yeah. well, you, easiest you for people to grab onto. I think you have to go, you have to go from being part poet to part rabble rouser to part sort of like hooligan on some level between things. And so if you want the hooligan terrace chant, yeah, yeah. it's back to you. Um, you're going to have to fucking write one. You know what I mean? Exactly. The first kept a couple of albums, we didn't write fucking any. And then Pardon was like, okay, we can't keep doing the same thing. We have to move on to doing that, which is sort of unusual because I think a lot of people went the other, maybe they went kind of the other way around, but to make an album with no choruses, yeah, which is themes, but that's because we're doing this sort of drifty, pagan, cinematic, whatever it was, you know, but the more heavy metal it became, the more I, you became, I became, you know, interested in, in putting in choruses. But if you're going to start with what High Spirits is, then you've got to think of the chorus, you know, I mean, totally. it's, and it's fucking hard. It makes you run. The, it makes the genius of the Ramones and the Misfits like fucking fifty times more fucking powerful when you understand how fucking hard it is. You know, to, it is it, hard to make an earworm. You know, yeah. I mean, it, and it's something you get better at. I mean, that was that was. Um, I worked with a band called Knock Mystium for a while, kind of as a as an outside yeah, yeah. songwriter yeah. Um, or inside songwriter. I guess I was never really a member of the band, but I did. Uh, I did a lot of jobs um, within the band, nevertheless. And one of them for a period was, you know, I wrote the lyrics and kind of arranged the songs. You know, they, they would say, here's, yeah. you know, here's this pile of riffs. Um, and we do like a pre-production thing of recording all the riffs. And I'd take it home and piece it all together into a song. Be like, all right, here's the chorus. Yeah. Um, and put the lyrics on it. And I think... Um, I think that was really effective even for for what that band was doing musically. I think it was really effective to yeah. kind of, like you said, put the hooligan part out there for people to kind of yeah. um yeah. latch onto and um throw the living after midnight terrace chant out there. Or the yeah, it's just, you know, you want the you want the audience to participate. You want to keep them engaged. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? So that must be we were gonna talk a bit about knock mystium, but that must be I'm a, a big fan um of those you know, well, nearly all of it, to be honest. Um, but being the sort of external songwriter, I suppose, does it come with less pressure then? Oh, because totally, totally. That that was, um, you know, some of the some of the, um, you know, because I was also kind of the guy recording to a point. I was actually the guy kind of producing the albums. You know, I was. Bringing, bringing my, uh, you know what an ADAT is? Those, those old digital eight tracks that Elisa's made. Yeah, I had, a, I had a couple of those. So I would, um, for the early Knock Mystium, not the very earliest Knock Mystium stuff, but starting with Demise, yeah, um, I would, I would bring my little mixer and, and my ADAT over to, you know, to wherever, and you know, mic up the drums, and that's how, we, that's how we made those albums. Yeah. Um, so you know, as I said, I played a, I played a number of roles in that, in that band. Uh, over the years, um, but to to your question, yeah, there was a lot of opportunity to kind of <clears throat> experiment, even uh, whether with a recording technique or um, yeah. a, you know, a songwriting method or or even a vocal technique yeah. um, to kind of pilot that in a knock mystium session. And um, I can you know I can actually give you a few examples. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a Knock Mystium song, Nightfall, yeah, yeah. which is on which is on Addicts that's got kind of a 
you know, kind of like a misfitsy kind of moody mm. chorus. So nightfall with like a you know a couple of harmonies on there. Um, I don't remember whether I sang it or part of it, but I definitely wrote it. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then there's a high spirit song called Running Home. Mm. Um, which was just on a it's just like a seven inch B side. It's not you know one of the more popular songs, but it does have pretty much exactly that same mm. uh, method um, of singing uh, with the, where the chorus comes in. So that's one example of something that's like, oh, that that seemed to work pretty well over here, and maybe it'll work just as well uh, with what I'm doing. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of. You know, it was it, it's me. It was my energy, kind of going out into these uh, into these different different projects, which I think is like that's the more like um, that is the more role the role of more like a traditional '80s producer. You know, yes. Trying to explain to somebody now when there's no physical sales about points and that kind of stuff. You know, right. um, if I can try and butcher it by explaining, but like say, um, Michael Wagner would make produce an album in the '80s, and he got like a point which meant, I think if you got 1.5 points, which meant you got a, a very small portion of the sales. But of course, if the album sold a million and a half copies, you might make a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So if you were a huge big name producer and you got points on everything, you could make residuals on sort of yes. on the sales, you know, is that the right, that's, you know what I mean? But but they that's, were involved in the songwriting and the, you know, the structuring and it, all that stuff. You know? That's yeah. correct. That's correct. And to add that they got paid from, the first sale it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. it was not like the artists uh royalties which were delayed yeah. until after the budget recoup the producers started getting paid from the first sale it's crazy when you think about it but yeah i mean some of them the big ones are just moving from album to album if you did four or five big ones a year if you're oh, in yourself you're making fucking millions as the producer you know and a lot of them were not technical people a lot of them oh. were, ju were musical people um but very often there would be a studio with an with an engineer or uh, staff of engineers who were actually doing the technical work of making the album and the producers were just kind of these uh you know these overseers with the yeah. um you know with the the more creative role and also kind of setting the threshold for what what the technical um uh you know demands with the technical standards uh let's say would be uh for an album and it's funny to 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 look back at Nogmistium originally originally I was kind of the just the engineer yeah. you know it was it was the uh the music was coming from the other guys, I made my suggestions or played my little guitar noodle here and there or whatever. But I was mostly the guy who had the mixing, the mixer and the ADAT and uh, knew how to mic up a drum kit. Yeah. And as time progressed, they signed to Century Media. The budget, you know, increased by a factor of 10, yeah. um, which is when they hired in Sanford Parker oh, yeah. um, as an engineer. And it was at that point that my role was no longer technical. My role kind of kind of flipped to the uh, the other side of that yeah. that producer term and I became like you said more like an 80s producer or like more more like a hip hop producer I think in my yeah. my concept like somebody who kind of sets the you know the creative frame uh, mm -hmm. uh record and that was really fun that was really fun but there was you, know, yeah, <laughs> you can only go so far in that environment yeah I mean I've done we've done things where we've make, we've recorded in the, the old academy studios in Yorkshire and Mags, who was a great guitar player, a great musician, a very influential guy, the engineer, every now and again, he'd turn around and go, why don't you try 
this to this to that. And you go like, oh, okay. And then you'd sit on it. And like he was the first person who went, lads, you just can't be using those guitars here. You need to do this. Yeah, yeah. But his the influence of being able to just go, well, why don't you go to this different key or something? You know, I always liked the idea of producing records, but somehow never quite fell into it, you know. Um, even though I've sort of contributed lots of other things to other um to to other you know projects or whatever. I mean, I did a project with my cousin called April Men, which is just like electronic music. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I have to say that was really interesting because for the first time having to sing over um uh, like the 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 dynamic freak like the frequency range of guitar is just taken out so you're only singing over the bass or keyboards and then every inflection of the voice oh, yeah. is super scrutinized and it made me really appreciate the people i was trying to ape with it which were like brian ferry or channel a little bit of bowie or whatever i was trying to channel a little bit of i was like fucking hell every single which is dry, which is lost sometimes in a wall of guitar yeah maybe you appreciate the genius of roxy music like fucking profoundly you know yeah well i think i think i think producer is a very elastic term or a very relative term you know like we've been talking about there's you know everything from from you know like oh no you can't use those guitars or you know to like yeah. you know say no no we're we're cutting this part out of your song entirely and there's and there's nothing you can do about it because that's my mandate from the record company you know i mean i don't think i don't think you and i have been in many uh situations like that but you know for some bands that is the situation it's like yeah. you know I, I mean it's it's certainly i think because of the sort of downsizing of rock and metal so to speak that that sort of it's like a job that just kind of got squeezed slightly yeah. out or you had to produce yourself or somebody was having to willing to produce for next to nothing because there's no such thing as points anymore on I don't right. or I, you have a or you have an engineer who's kind of the shadow producer uh, even though that's you know yeah 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 and so, like, I mean, if you say, take for example, that like, have you you must have tried to sing over stuff like that, which doesn't have guitars on it. It's a it's a sometimes quite a like I said, a daunting prospect without that wall behind you of of the frequency range. I mean, you if you're saying you've the, the pop influence of high spirits, have you tried to actually just make, let's say, pop music or pop, you know, high spirits without the guitars? Well, the closest the closest I've come was with a different project actually called Actor. Uh, which I don't yeah, know if you're okay. familiar with actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's me and two of the guys from a band from Finland called Circle. And then, you know, they have a zillion other projects too. But yeah, I, yeah. Think, I was familiar with it. I thought it was more a bit more sort of proggy. Would that be not over the wrong? Um, yeah, I don't honestly, it's always. I don't really know what that word exactly means, but that's what just what sort of popped into my head, you know? Yeah, I mean, those are these, these are these terms that kind of mean different things to different people too. Um, and being someone who, pretty much only listens to hard rock and metal i am always kind of grasping for ways to describe music outside of those frames because you know i i just don't have the vocabulary right yeah, yeah but sure. um but with actor the rhythm guitars are let's say they start out with a certain importance um but by the end of the process they're pr pushed pretty far back to where you don't even really know that they're there anymore and i definitely i don't remember experiencing it at the time of making the those albums but now when i go back and listen i can hear exactly what you're talking about how there are certain certain nuances of the voice that it's like you shouldn't even be able to hear that you shouldn't even be able to hear um maybe that i don't that i'm not controlling yeah 100 percent of my delivery yeah um, um so 
So yeah, I know I know what you mean. I don't I don't feel like I've hit that point with high spirits, although there is always that shock when because I record everything regardless of what project we're talking about. I record everything very, very raw yeah. um, in my studio. I don't even compress the vocals going in. It's like yeah, the mic, and then I have a preamp to to just like add some gain to it. And then it goes straight onto the computer from there. So there is always when I send something out uh, to be mixed and those first mixes come back and I kind of hear everything. And it's not just the vocals, but especially the vocals. You kind of hear that the, 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 the engineer has kind of cleared away all the all the, the, the brush and all the debris yeah, yeah. that's yeah. in there and yeah. and kind of really sharpened um, the instruments. And there's always that shock of like, whoa, is yeah. that is that what it's really sounded like? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've, often, used to it. I've often sometimes undone things that were too tight. Like, yeah too proper i've kind of gone and gone that doesn't sound like something i'd do if somebody's tried to push me into that but we did a with the april man thing we did um love is the drug and new year's day i mean i like some really old early 80s u2 but certainly having to sing new year's day gave me a sort of uh a grudging respect for the vocals of bono and certainly yeah. watching him sing there's a footage of him doing unforgettable fire vocal sessions and you go this dude could sing an iron maiden actually he has a well, bellowing voice you know but 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 you know, singing the metal thing, I've always sung at a very loud volume, very intense all the time. And then to actually have to pull it back like a lot. Yeah, it's not easy. Control it when it's, you know, like when you're not going full pelt. Um, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, no, it wasn't easy at all. That was, that was, we experienced that um, in a band I was in until recently called Pharaoh. Our singer was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just world class. Yeah, yeah. Class, super talented dude, just like all power, like great, great character to his delivery and everything until we tried to get him to sing clean. And then it was always like we would do, you know, we would it ended up being, you know, do 20 takes of it and then comp together the best, you know, go line by line and comp it together because because he was just not. um not consistent you know like like we've been talking about you have to really have control of your delivery Mm. um to be able to to convince people uh to really sell the song and like even like even even a guy like that with uh you know pretty much unlimited um power uh as a heavy metal singer it's like yeah well you know we wanted to we kind of wanted to put a an acoustic part here but i don't know if (laughs) you know so 20 takes would have me gone to the pub already after about five or six or seven yeah. tops, maybe. Pharaoh, yeah, that was, um, I mean, what's there's one album which I know that is kind of like revered as some sort of uh, sacred text by power metal fans. What's that yeah, one? Yeah, it's probably, the, that's The Longest Night. That's the second yeah. album. That seems to be the one that, that has the most uh, staying power. Although, although I like them all. I mean, and so from the that's definitely when we were still more we get definitely got more technical as as we went on the song the songs song arrangements and the um, and the musicianship kind of leveled up uh album to album and that being the second album not that not that there was anything primitive about about those songs but it was still very um um more power less prog yeah and what about then the last High Spirits album? Because I noticed uh, that was kind of, you know, when you flick through, say, the last issue of Death Forever, 
Um, I noticed it's kind of in some of the, you know, writers lists and that kind of thing. Um, High Spirit still seems to have a sort of love affair with the that sort of death forever crowd, you know. I think so. Even though you kind of sidestepped it a little bit as we talked about, I could imagine that being more so in the USA than in 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 Europe, perhaps. What do you mean? As in that sometimes when it comes to the you let's call it uh, for better better word the keep it true crowd, you're kind of you're you're within that. Um, you're within that sort of sphere of that crowd. It can sometimes harder to have more, let's say, diverse bills as you might have in the USA sometimes oh, I see. with that traditional heavy metal crowd. You know, I found it like um, every I'm, I'm kind of being in it and being out of it and being in it and being out of it and sort of found it to be. Um, uh, I'm, I like it, of course, but um, it can sometimes be. Um, I'm not sure what the word I'm searching for is. A little bit difficult to sidestep, maybe is the right way to say it. Mm. Well, I'm not sure I phrased that right, but you know what I mean, maybe. I do know what you mean. I think there's a conservativeness, um, maybe among... Maybe that's the word I'm searching for, you know. I think a stubbornness, a conservativeness um, that... that two, word, two words I like sometimes, you know, in certain contexts. Right. And and, an orthodoxy to it, you know. Yeah, that's that's probably the best word that we've had so far. But there's I don't know, I as I've gotten older, I can look back and see that there were times when I was overly conservative or overly Mm. orthodox. I mean, they're just hang ups. Right. I you know, I you know, you have you get these you make your mind up about things when you're younger. that uh, you know everything's going to be this way and not that way, and you know you kind of set down these guidelines or or rules for yourself. And I think maybe that I think maybe that um, <clears throat> that touches on what you're talking about. And as I'm thinking about it now, it seems like it's the <clears throat> it's it's like the bell shaped curve. Maybe <clears throat> you have the very young. Uh, say like the twenty-something crowd, and then you have the very old, say the sixty-something crowd, who are who are the maybe the most uh, diehard uh, conservative, orthodox, whatever word you want to use, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the most fixed. Um, and I think it's the the bell in the middle, maybe who are more open-minded. Um, uh, and, and we're generalizing here, and I'm you know it's not something I've. It's not something I've thought a lot about, um, honestly. You know, when when we have people at the show, I'm just I'm just glad there's yeah. people at the show. I might be completely wrong in those observations. It's just I've no, I think what I'm trying to sort of put my finger on is that I've noticed in the last five or ten years, the sort of social media years, um, the reinvention of alternative cultures, or as we would call them, which includes heavy metal, punk rock. Yeah. Um, all these kind of things, or goth, um, like for a long time, goth, you go to a Sisters of Mercy show and you could see it was like going to go and see Udo or something like this. But lately, the sort of new electronic boy harsh has brought some people in, um, you know, culturally, the, things have shifted and changed a bit more to um, the goth seems to make more sense, maybe perhaps to younger people. Um, and sometimes you go to a, a particular, like a, a metal show, and it, you, I'm struck by like, well, this is we're death metal is middle age now, you know, like it's yeah. 
it's getting old. Um, are there young people coming in to breathe new life into the scene? What are the reasons why? And maybe it speaks more to, um, I think, maybe a sort of ferric or complete uh, socio-cultural anthropological, what do you want to say, victory of pop music, at least in the mainstream, which has pushed these things to the periphery and that young people don't resonate with alternative cultures the same way. It's a rather complicated way of my, what I'm trying to sort of consider and how I was trying to frame high spirits within it with the sort of pop references when we talked in the last part. But sometimes I go to shows and I look around. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in watching the crowd, you know, like sort of looking at what are the demographics? The, how are they yeah. all split now? Because I remember them from 30 years ago, you know, and I'm sort of, I, you know, tell me to stop because that's sort of what I'm trying to get my finger on, you know. No, like I said, it's not uh, it's not something I I think about a lot. Um, but what I what I have thought is um, you you know you mentioned the the social media age, the YouTube age, or whatever. And my feeling, which 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 may be different from from yours, is that because of that, because of the connectivity uh, of of the internet, and because of the accessibility of music uh, video streaming um and that i feel that in terms of countercultures i feel i feel like everything that's ever been popular in in the history of of pop is popular now um because of those mechanisms that allow the audience to organize uh and connect mm. and participate uh they may they may still be countercultures uh they may still be of limited sizes but i think i think the digital economy or or what it, whatever you want to call it uh the digital anthropology of it all um mm. is is sustaining it um and and uh will continue to do so i don't think i, I think if we look at the totality of subculture um you know musical subculture you know film uh, you know other art forms i think i think yes there will always be a sub to the mainstream but i think within that kind of blob of subcultures i like i said i think i think everything that's ever been popular um is popular right now and 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 is likely to stay that way that's a sentence i'd have to I'd have to think about everything that has been popular is popular right now. Um, I mean, we, we could argue that heavy metal is less popular than it used to be in the 70s and the 80s. Um, but yet, you know, bands still feel, you know, I mean, festival, it's wild because festival culture and heavy metal is about as healthy as it could possibly be. There's more of heavy metal festivals and rock festivals than everything. But yet at the same time, if you were to look at the top 500 streaming artists on Spotify, you would find no new heavy metal no that's true and there are so many different ways there's so many different ways to measure popularity and i'm using a very uh a very abstract and kind of soft way of of measuring it um and you know festival culture uh um and just like these uh it just seems like fan fan culture it seems is very active um mm, yeah it, i, I mean it's hard to I again I I I I sort of feel the same way in that the amount of the different metrics um can be confusing. I mean the optical metric, for example, walking around Dublin 
Um, or let's say me and my friend were sitting in the park there and it happened to be a day when I guess kids were coming out from an, an exam and there were thousands of kids in the park. I guess they were 16. Um, and I remember being 16 and I honestly, I didn't see a single band shirt. I didn't see a single punk rock kid, a single n- nothing. And it was just uniform. And these were not kids in uniforms. They were, you know, yeah, yeah. we're just sitting eating our lunch. And I was like, fucking hell is this? What the fuck? You know? And then, I mean, it's not, it was not a surprise to me, but yet, as you say, there are perhaps other measurements which might say that young people um, are more interested in these small niche subcultures just somehow doesn't really feel like that or like even in knowing my own cousins and my own relatives or stuff and you find like music is a fourth fifth sixth seventh interest things you know but the world is much more complicated i think you know that's true i mean there is a lot of uh there's a lot of ways to spend your time and your money and uh you know people have to have to pick and choose um but um yeah i mean what you're describing what you're describing could have been my high school you know except there would have been me and maybe one of my friends uh you know wearing a motorhead shirt or something but that that's growing up in the 90s and the you know in the suburbs too so you know i think there's a lot of when you when when there are perceptions of what was what was popular at a given time or how popular it was at a given time versus you know that same thing now um uh there's so many personal associations and personal um experiences that 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 inform those perceptions so again it's like i don't know i don't know how to measure this stuff Uh, i i find it fascinating to think about and talk about um and also i'm perfectly aware that i'm a you know a a middle-aged um man observing you know things that are 20 30 years tell me this could another could another perfect day be the greatest morehead album ever pop no 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 that album for so, that album for so many years i love was, it i love it I'm underrated sure. that was an underrated album for so many years mm. and now it has become an overrated album Ooh, uh, controversial more recently i think it's i think i think it's been um kind of blown out of proportion i would rank it somewhere in my personal motorhead ranking it would be in the middle third um the middle third. somewhere below the overall halfway mm. i i because me i uh, i did um me and adi from solstice fear do these things where we go through um you know band's discography and use yeah. middle-aged brains to try and decipher it all and my i sort of i had to listen to all of the motor albums from the last 20 30 years and i realized after like bastards i just don't really i like some of them sacrificed and a few others but there's the last few or the last six, seven, eight records, and you're going, there's no rock and roll riffs, there's no, you know, guitar, nice flourishes, it's all gong, 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 kind of stuff, you know, yeah. they were almost all being the blaster, but as I began to just filter my way through all the, just re-listen to everything again, I was just went, my God, another perfect day has got some fucking, it's got to be, it's got to be in my top three or four, I mean. Really? Not what, me. what, what are the top few then for you, singers, I'm completely back of the conversation. Yeah, Overkill, Bastards. Um, Bastards, you put so high? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Orgasmatron has aged really well, Mm. I think. Uh, Same for 1916. Um, I mean, I love them all to a degree because I love the totality of it, right? And you don't have the totality of it without Kiss of Death and without 
yeah. motorizer and maybe the you know the less yeah. exciting ones i mean yeah. even the, even the debut i think is 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 one of the less exciting ones um i yeah. prefer i prefer those songs on on parole i mean yeah yeah uh, you know but uh rock and roll is where i entered with motorhead that's the year that i started to first listen 87 yeah 1916 is where i entered so okay I think rock and roll is a is a great record. Rock and roll's pretty good. It's got a little bit of it's got a little bit of filler. I'd I'd rank that. It's it's in the middle of third, but it's above uh, another perfect day. <laughs> I see. Okay, because me and Addy were discussing it, and, I, and we were just came to some staggering conclusion. We're like, this could be in my top two or three records. Could be, you know. Well, I mean, that's I'm not you know I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong, but uh, <laughs> I don't no, agree. I'm just, I'm just trying to derail that. <laughs> derail my mental processes of trying to analyze uh, the, you know, anthropological, behavioral, cultural, social, digital instincts of, yeah. of young people and sort of kind of realize that I talked myself into a, a bit of a, you know, a quagmire there, you know. Well, that goes to show what I often say is that all roads lead to Motorhead. There you go. I think that's And if they don't, you're probably fucked. Yeah, no, you're probably wrong. So what's going on now next this year? This year is going to be a bit of a different year. Um High Spirits has a show in Chicago next month. Uh, after that, we're taking a little break, six months, maybe eight months, because um, we're doing some shows with another band with some of the same people, which is Dawnbringer, okay. um, which broke up. Uh, man, we were never really together, so we never really broke up. But we ended we ended that band in 2016, um, but recently had a few tempting festival offers um almost almost said yes last year <clears throat> i'm glad we didn't because it's it's much easier to focus on this year without it being kind of in the middle of everything that was going on last year uh so we're doing four shows one one for each point of the compass in the u.s we're doing a, a northwest east and south um so one a month there'll be a lot of a lot of flying a lot of uh hotel lobby rehearsing rehearsing probably yes. but uh, but that. it'll be good. It'll be good. I, I mean, we've played those songs. I, you know, I, I mentioned we have like a Professor Black uh, uh, band that we do shows with sometimes. And so we've played some of those songs somewhat recently, but uh, not as not as Dawnbringer, um, which is how we're doing it uh, this year. Then after that, um, you know, some uh, some recording projects that have been kind of sitting on my hard drive unfinished for too long. Yeah, um, about that. Yeah. I feel like it, on one hand, I feel like I should just walk away. But on the other hand, I feel like that I won't be able to start on anything new until I do finish them. So do you ever feel like that almost um, sometimes I feel like that where it, it feels like people could do with a bit less of me? Yeah. Know? Yeah. I feel like I could do with less of me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Many of my friends <laughs> would agree with the same thing. But just doing the podcast and constantly, you know, putting stuff out and then you know i mean i really enjoy doing the podcast and it's been a lot of fun it was my part of my coping mechanism with lockdown and stuff but a part sure. of me was, dude you need maybe you should go dark for six or nine months and like go and fucking live in an island and learn a trade or a craft or something and come back with a bit less fucking digital clutter in your head because it certainly does seem that people do get they can be a bit overwhelmed by i mean i was i was reading this thing that they're saying that uh the more i think a hundred thousand new tracks go up on spotify every week and wow. by by April, May, it's, they're, they're expected to reach quarter of a million to 300,000. And that includes a metal and death metal and every kind of metal as well. Of course. Yeah. Just an overwhelming deluge of 
music and you kind of go to yourself, well, I mean, are we, am I just adding too much to the overall clutter, the noise, you know? That was me shoveling things into it. Yeah, shoveling clutter. You got a nice <laughs> clutter shovel there. <laughs> Good name for a band. Yeah, uh, clutter shovel. Yeah, yeah. But do you think uh, we should start that project? Um, but yeah, do you think, did you ever, do you feel like sort of turning the volume down on yourself a bit for a while? Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, I mean, I as as I get older, the less ego becomes less of a thing, the older I get. I think for a few years, um, I think for a few years, maybe I was a little over, uh, not overactive. What's the, what, what's the word that I want? A little too eager or something. Yeah. Just, just a little too over assertive, maybe, uh, you know, trying to get, trying to get some attention for, you know, for what I was doing. And then, yeah. uh, and then, you know, maybe 10 years ago you know that that attention comes and you know it feels good and uh you know i feel like okay you know i wasn't i wasn't crazy like you know this 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 music i'm making is you know is is connecting with people and uh, you know has has value um and i feel more recently as though i've come out on the other side of that that uh you know that I've gotten that kind of fulfillment and that kind of satisfaction, and now I'm just—it's not that—it's not that I don't have other motivations. Uh, you know, there 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 have been other motivations. You know, creative motivation, artistic motivation, if you want to uh, be as bold and and call it that. And those those motivations remain. So, um, I've lost track of the question but uh i think i think it's just the the as you said sometimes you feel like maybe you uh i sometimes feel like wonder like uh six or nine or 12 months off so to yeah. speak would you come back with a better energy or that kind of thing because one of the things i've sort of felt is that now approaching a certain age that you have to realize that the body of your creative youth or, or even the body of your creative work is most likely behind you and that you're looking in the rearview mirror at the memories you've accumulated as a band and that however many more years there is five ten more i don't know whatever you're in the last few chapters and it's sort of making peace with the fact that um as you say you've come out the other side yeah not that it's over well, I'll be, some I'll people be, don't I'll think about it at all but like you know right no i'll be honest and uh, and it's not a fun it's not a fun uh topic to talk about but no, it's uh, not. <laughs> During uh, during the pandemic, I was very depressed. Uh, yeah. uh, Tell me about creative, it. Creatively, especially, um, I didn't I didn't record any music during the pandemic. I didn't uh, do anything. Nothing that that was finished. You know, I, like I said, I have some unfinished stuff on my hard drive, and one of the reasons it's difficult to think of going back and finishing it is because it's got that kind of depressive, like uh, you know stink on it you know it's 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 still down there it's down in that hole where i was that's where those that music is mm. um but putting that aside um i think i think the the low point of that creative depression was kind of accepting what you're talking about in a way um accepting that maybe maybe i had nothing maybe there wasn't anything left not that the best was behind me but that the entirety might be behind me that maybe yeah. i was that maybe i was moving into a new phase not as a 
musician, but just as a person, maybe I was moving into a new phase of my life. And a funny thing happened after that, after I had kind of accepted and meditated on that possibility, accepted that that might be true, that's kind of when the sun came back up again. Mm. And I could kind of imagine imagine a future and see see a future um creatively and that kind of that kind of turned me back around and since that you know since since that pendulum swing or whatever i uh i'm 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 cautious of of looking at things the way you described <clears throat> that there might be a finite <clears throat> amount of time yeah remaining in the future no i don't i don't uh you know kind of since since turning that corner i don't i don't choose to see it that way i just i just kind of like i said an hour ago i want to write the songs that i'm in the mood to write mm, uh, yeah i mean it's it's very it's i think it's a healthier way to look i at hope the- so i hope so mm-hmm. it's at least it's at least um more uh more functional less less despairing um, um yeah i mean it doesn't fit generally with my worldview <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure i can shrug that stuff off but i certainly think it's healthier i mean it's not lo- I mean, it's just the way i think about things but it's not lost on me because it, we were shown a certain way the world could be and that was where you don't like say next month uh you know we'll play in Thessaloniki in athens and it's 20 years almost since the first time we went there and a part of me will go how many many more times do you do this and that's yeah. unfortunately that moment of lockdown and pandemic it's imp- it's it's become easier, but it's very difficult for me to shake off that the idea that very this could all be closed and shut down. Be away again. And, then, and, and I understand, and I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, I'm not closing my eyes to that either. No. But uh, I'm, you know, personalizing it more, um, um, you know, and applying it to myself as a creative, as a as a songwriter. Yeah. That um, that um, that that will only be taken from me if i allow it to be um yeah i mean i I, like i said it during the lockdown i will i mean if if it if this doesn't move on let's say you know hypothetically i won't make i wouldn't make any more heavy metal i mean heavy metal for me is about being in the room with other people yeah yeah live traveling if there's no traveling and playing live and rehearsing i won't make any more music you know or at least more heavy metal music to me it it, the, the process the the human outcome at the beginning and the end is what uh, justifies it in a sense you know i could see my collective experience yeah yeah i could see making harsh industrial noise or some strange something strange like that you know um but then again i don't know whether anybody would really want to be listening to them (laughs) well everything that's ever been popular is popular now there you go there you go yeah yeah So. so the question is only whether that's ever been popular and i don't know i don't i'm not sure the world needs a Alan Averill throbbing gristle <laughs> tribute band or something, you know, that might yeah. be too much for everybody. But but I know I know what you mean about about uh, touring and and doing gigs and stuff. And I think for <clears throat> maybe for somewhat different reasons, I've uh, I've gotten mixed feelings about that future. Um, mm. But that's yeah. more again. That's for different reasons. I think that's maybe more for. Uh, and we would need to do a part three to really yeah. get into get into that. But I'd say that's more for professional reasons uh, on my end. That uh, um, 
I have mixed feelings about it. I have mixed feelings about investing the time uh, in that way um, and how sustainable that remains uh, in the future. But as far as the art, uh, you know, the art of what we do, I, uh, like I said, since uh, kind of since hitting that rock bottom, I've kind of rebounded and uh, uh, have a much, a much better view of the future than I did for a little while there. Well, I think that that's a good moment to to finish this 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 part and this podcast on because I think that's I think that's what comes through certainly in high spirits. You know what I mean? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it certainly does. Even for a cynical old bollocks like me, I mean, when I stick it on, it gives me a, a smile. And certainly, the the last couple of minutes of you describing it there is like, yeah, that's what I get from it. And certainly, like I said, while watching the band, and then um, where where were we? I think we were in. Were we at the the Sirithungal thing or something like this? Do you remember? Ah, my, my, my oh, mind. in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah, like we that. played with. I think we only played with. No, we played with them in Houston too. Were you at Hell's Heroes that year? No, I wasn't in Hell's Heroes. Okay. Yeah, it must have been California. I'm tracked by my own bad memory, but the point was that to watch the people I was with who didn't know the band at all get infused with exactly what you just said, I was like looking at them, going, well, "There we go. That's how it works." You know, it's a real thing. It's a real oh, thing. Well, sir, it's been my pleasure. Likewise. Thanks. We I, finally I, got my time after a couple of years. No problem. <laughs> first, the next time we'll do a part three about the uh, apocalypse of the uh, touring industry. We can do that part three some other time. That's good. I think we'll have much more uh, common ground there. Very possible. All right, sir. Cool. Take care. Bye-bye.